Thanks, Jenny. Cats and dogs living together. What are we to make of this? This is what happens in the fullness of God's plan. Cat people embrace even dogs. Broadening of horizons. It's a good thing. Let's pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In Greek mythology, Sisyphus is punished for his self-aggrandizing craftiness and deceitfulness and forced to roll an immense boulder up a hill. Then the thing is, when it gets to the top, uh, it only rolls down the other side, at which time Sisyphus must, must roll it up the hill again. And it rolls down again. And this is repeated for an eternity. Albert Camus, in his novel The Myth of Sisyphus, argues that the plight of Sisyphus is a symbol of modern human existence. Namely, our lives are <laughs> about as meaningless as Sisyphus because all we do is put a lot of effort into many and various tasks. But for what end? For what end? We might as well be rolling a boulder up a hill over and over again. But what's the point? So, do you ever feel like this guy in the, in the cartoon? If you can't read the caption, it says, Hey, Sisyphus, when you've got a moment, I'd like to discuss this progress report with you. <laughs> All right, take your place behind the boulder. In the GPS course, on Wednesday nights, we've been exploring our purpose and callings in this life. It's an important topic because without purpose or direction in life, human beings despair and they feel like Sisyphus and they kind of wither up, wither and die. From a biblical point of view, we may feel like Sisyphus sometimes. But the purpose and meaning that is baked into our very existence means we are nothing like Sisyphus at all, although there are days. <laughs> and we know this in the very first two chapters of Genesis where we are given clear and meaningful, a clear and meaningful role, calling. God says, be stewards of life. Life all around you. You have been entrusted with this task. Let's take a look. It says in Genesis chapter 2 that Allison read earlier that God made the heavens and the earth but then called for a time out before any plant was yet planted or any rain had been sent to nourish the earth. Now, I realize if you're thinking about how creation came together, you might be thinking of Genesis, the first chapter, where it says Day one and day two and day three. And on day one, God said, let there be light. On day two, let there be uh, land and water. On day three, let there be growing things. And humans were the last day before God rested. But in Genesis 2, there is a different writer and a different creation account. It's much more earthy, and it's told like a story less like stanzas to a hymn. And it says that God made the heavens and the earth, but paused before he made any plant or, or herb. 
So why the time out? It says right there in verse 5, there was no one to till the ground. You can't start planting things and have them growing if there's no one to till the ground. It's as though God said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I need someone down there. <laughs> someone who will help the earth produce life, who will appreciate the sacredness of living things, take care of them, and help them to grow. I need a gardener, a steward of the life that I will create. Then God forms a human from the dust in the ground by breathing into the dust. And now, voila, God has a gardener. And in fact, many gardeners. Well, there's some of them right there. And there's a gardener. And there's a... Wait a minute. Is that Christopher Walken? You think he's a very good gardener? I don't know. And then and only then did God plant the garden that we know as Eden when he had someone there to till and care for it. Okay, let's reflect on this. Interesting that human purpose and calling is established even before the human's identity or even before the human was created, the calling was there and the purpose. Who is this human? Someone God created to take care of the garden. You. We've been deputized by God to care for God's assets. We have the whole world in our hands. Oh, yes, God does in, in, the, in the, the biggest sense. But, yeah, we do too. We've been entrusted uh, with that very task. We are called to be the gardener, to protect and nurture God's garden of life. Or choose your metaphor, gardeners in God's garden of life, uh, if you prefer a business model, managers of God's assets, stewards of God's blessings, curators of life. And by the way, that's what the Ten Commandments are all about, protecting and nurturing the lives of our neighbors. In all of these scenarios, God is the one who is in charge, whose purposes are being served. Namely, it can be summarized very quickly as the flourishing of life for all, including moose and your pet and your plants and so on and so on. How do we see to it? There's a question here. Some have pointed out that rather than having questions and then going to the Bible to find answers, let the living voice of the Bible ask questions of you and you wrestle with these questions. How do you and I see to it that life on this planet in all of its forms is cared for and treated as sacred? I've been watching the BBC series Planet Earth. Anybody here watched Planet Earth with uh, David Atmos? Great stuff. And um, it has shown in one episode the uh, increasing urbanization and how that's decreased habitat for many species and how certain species actually thrive in an urban habitat, but for most, no. In some cases, plants and animals can coexist quite easily if cities are designed with not only human life in mind, but all life. But of course, usually cities are just 
it's just concrete and walls, and it kind of strangles life. Um, here are some pictures from Singapore, where they have set out to coexist with the natural world and create habitats that are right in the city and can support plant and animal life. Now, when I first saw some of these images on, on planet Earth, I thought, this is science fiction. This is a futuristic city. Um, this isn't, wait till, you see the, wait till you see the last one. It's crazy. That one's pretty crazy right there. But they've got a purpose in mind. These, these, these structures that are, are eco-friendly, it looks futuristic, does it not? But that's a vision of what can we do to cultivate life not only for people but for all isn't that something? I mean, if, if we consider God's point of view, how do we see to it that all of life is nurtured, not just ours as humans, or just the people with means? However, as we learned with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil back in the garden, we humans often prefer to be God. That is, we don't want to just be the stewards or the gardeners. We want to be the owner. We want to be the owner. The trouble is, we don't do so well when we're the owners because paramount for the human owner is not how all of life can flourish, God's perspective, but usually, how can my life flourish? That's what my ownership is about. That is the plague of humans. And sometimes this is at the expense of other lives. We don't think we need God, and then we begin using creation and other people for our own purposes, not God's. Our trust then with God is broken, our human natures are distorted, and the brokenness is extended to creation. How does that affect our relationship with our neighbor? We turn from loving our neighbor as subject, as ends in themselves, and rather turn to using our neighbor as object, as a means to an end my end, or we view them as a threat. The extreme form of this is, of course, slavery, where we own other people, but there are so many lesser ways we seek to control other people to advance our own interests, or we conclude our neighbor is a threat to my interests and we seek to diminish him or her. But something that is living, anything that is living, is not an object but a subject, including non-human life, plants and animals. So we are stewards of all forms of life in all its rich and varied forms. When we are the owners, or think we are, we often forget that life on our planet is something to be nurtured and cared for as sacred. And rather, we all too easily view the earth like a supermarket while we are the consumer. And so it was that the Lord commanded Moses and the Israelites to give a Sabbath to their fields and vineyards. Allison read from Leviticus, and that's what that is describing. You know, we, we, we gather on the Sabbath, the seventh day of, it's supposed to be a day of rest. May or may not be for some of us. But how about if we did that with the earth? giving the earth the Sabbath. Every seventh year, they were to refrain from sowing in their fields and pruning their vineyards. Furthermore, 
You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your unpruned vine. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. Why? Because life needs to be cared for. Living things need to rest. I mean, we need to rest, right? Well, what happens if you skip a, a night's sleep? How do, you, how do you feel? Sometimes it may happen. Why wouldn't all living things be that way? When we enslave the land, when we force it to overwork, we abuse it to extract from it for our own purposes. In an effort to extract as much as possible from it, we overfarm, and the re result can be a dust bowl, the Great Depression. We hunt and kill species to the point of extinction. We burn fossil fuels to the point that the earth cannot absorb its impact. So what does it mean to live as steward and manager for someone else's resources? This is the question for us today. And they're not easy answers, but this is a point of view you understand, and a calling and an assignment. Well, it means you want accurate information about how we're doing, what's happening with the planet, and so then we take, can take appropriate actions as stewards. What are the facts? And on this point, it saddens me that so many people bury their heads in the sand about the current state of our planet. A reasonable Christian must invite information from those who study and monitor the plant's physical health, who are qualified to do so, namely scientists. Oh, there's a few of them out there, you know, uh, tens of thousands. Science tells us the planet is hurting. It's going through changes far too dramatic for good to come out of it, and this is largely human cause. There's not disagreement about that except for 1%. We already know that many species are losing their habitat because of climate change. We know that climate change endangers people too, and especially those at the margins. When seas rise and droughts occur, it is always the poor who are the most vulnerable. Those with means can find higher ground, so it's less urgent. For us, we are called to be their advocates, those people and those life forms. Climate change is real. And if we take seriously our role and purpose as stewards and managers, we must act decisively to slow down the warming of the Earth's atmosphere. We all know that many around us deny the validity of this, choosing to believe it's a hoax or we don't have enough data. At this point, the data is, for a reasonable person, is in, and, and it's conclusive enough to move uh, forward, and we must. So we have to weigh what it means to be true to biblical values and the importance of our role as stewards. And we can't take our roles seriously as stewards while at the same time ignoring or choosing to distrust the overwhelming data on climate change. So I encourage you, in closing, to ask what you can do in your neck of the woods to be a curator of life with people, plants, and animals. I encourage you to be advocates for life on the planet with our elected officials. Hold them accountable. Be relentless if you can, because they need to hear our voices. This is a rather urgent matter <laughs> all of our lives in our congregation uh, a green team has has stepped up 
Uh, in fact, they're going to lead the education faith formation hour after worship in some uh, awareness building. Um, maybe you feel called to take a special interest in managing our resources. So the green team needs more members. Um, they've, been, they've been getting a start on composting um, as, a, as a faith community. I've been working with uh, Steve Panning on energy efficiency in, in the building, really practical things. Uh, but there are so many more things to consider. Perhaps you want to be on the green team. So that's the original role God had in mind for us before he even breathed into the dust and made us stewards of life. Nothing we do is more important. No, we are not Sisyphus. Amen. <laughs>